Jackson. New episode of uh, Empires of the Future. And before we get into this, where is Bluegrass Church? Bluegrass Church is a Methodist church up on the north side of Evansville, right near Bluegrass. I visited there when uh, we were on vacation one time, so that's good. Yeah. It's a good place. I have like some friends name. that are there. Yeah, I like the name. Yeah. Bluegrass church. You know about Bluegrass up there, right? It's like a, there's nature preserve or something up there. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to turn this down. Okay. Um, I think I think our sound is good, and I don't need to monitor it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't... I had, like, you speaking here, and then, and then in there, here, yeah, and I'm like, this isn't going to work. No good. <laughs> this isn't going to work at all. So, we're going to talk about a book that, uh called The Righteous Mind, and you're a big fan of the author. I am. Yeah. A, new, a recent fan. Um, so this guy's name is Jonathan Haidt. Mm-hmm. H-A-I-D-T. Haidt. Uh, he is uh, not a Christian. He is a secular thinker. He's actually uh, Jewish culturally, mm-hmm. and he is an atheist, uh, but he's a moral uh, psychologist. He actually uh, primarily teaches at NYU Stern School of Business now. Oh, wow. um, so his, his focus has not been on business ethics, but you know, if you get called by NYU... Probably going to go there. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think he's a really insightful author. Actually, uh, it's it's fascinating sometimes the trains of kind of writing that people get on um, because you can just tell that some people have very um, kind of like similar interests to you. So the book that he wrote before this was called The Happiness Hi- Hypothesis. We talked about it a few different times, uh, yeah. And that's a great book. It's, it's about uh, bringing ancient wisdom into modern uh, life and modern thinking. Uh, which we're obviously for. It's something as Christians that we're in the project of all the time, but he's uh, trying to do that for the secular world. Um, and then, so this was his next book, uh, The Righteous Mind. He used to be a teacher at University of Virginia. Oh, wow. And uh, he taught uh, psychology there. I believe he's a social psychologist in his training. Yeah, I, think I read in, in this book, the fifth chapter, he talks about going to India to do right. some studies on cultural psychology yep. and he went to the University of Chicago, I guess, where he wrote his PhD. He worked under uh, Richard Schwader. Schwader, I, who was very I, well respected. Yeah. in the field. Yeah, and at the University of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just say right there. Uh, and then after this book, um, a book that we've talked about called "The Coddling of the American Mind." Right. He also wrote um, that book. Yeah, and that book uh, is just about safetyism and about. Mm-hmm how colleges are really changing, that ideas are no longer um, welcome. A lot of ideas are no longer welcome on college campuses. They have to be vetted and they have to be safe. And and he's against that. And, you know, frankly, I am too. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's it's been fascinating to see how much um, there has been to take away from what he has written. And this book in particular, I know a few weeks ago, you and I just uh, kind of were both talking about reading it and... uh, I thought it'd be great to shift gears and talk about a book about, mm-hmm. um, this is an ideas podcast. I feel like a lot of times we, we use news stories to yeah. jump off and talk about ideas right. and the ideas that are in here, I think are really important for our times. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he, I think does a really good job explaining why, uh, <laughs> explaining things like your Twitter feed or your Facebook, uh, feed as far as why people, never seem if they're on different views on anything to come to terms uh how easy it is for people to talk past each other i think mm-hmm. he gives some really good explanations oh, yeah. for good. why people can do that yeah and, and i think those are the things that uh we really want to cover today in addition uh, i think he's got some good advice on um, how to be 
mm-hmm. convincing yeah. when you when you speak yeah, how to persuade. Um, you know, I, we all could do better uh, about that, mm-hmm. I would say. But in particular, I think he has some insight on that. Uh, let me. I'm going to ask you before we get <clears> into this. Uh, these are just two random questions, but they deal with books. Yeah. Um, how do you? It is interesting for people. How do you pick a book to read? Like, how, how does that get into your? As as a pastor, you right. read a lot of books, right? It's kind of part of the the, the profession, right? If you're not into reading books, I don't know if ministry is really for you because right. this is it is a knowledge based right. uh, vocation. You're always learning. You're always growing as the culture changes. Mm-hmm. You're needing to kind of keep up with the culture, even though the Bible never changes, but. Uh, insights on the Bible and, and new perspectives are always there. Uh, and so we always want to kind of know what's going on and, and, and continue to, to know more about uh, ideas and issues, right, as we preach to that culture. How, how, how did how, this book in particular, but other books, how do they get into your, how do you notice them? And then also, yes. how do you read a book? Yeah, okay. So one, um, this is a great example of something that happens um, both with books and in kind of print journalism. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually this way with music as well. Uh, I get into artists. Oh, sure. I I find, uh, if I find somebody, I I can usually tell, even if it's um, only through a book, but even in our day, I often will try to find some kind of talk or lecture. Yeah. and, And man, I can listen to somebody talk for about five minutes and tell you if I'm interested in the way they think Absolutely. and if I resonate with it. Oh, yeah. And pretty much from that point, uh, if if I resonate with you, then I want to hear yeah. If it's an artist, I want to hear everything you've written. Uh, if, if I resonate with you as an author, I want to I want to track with you. Um, and so that's the main way. Obviously, personal recommendations are big. Sure. Uh, people who are friends of mine uh, say this is, you know, a book. And, you know, this is, there's sometimes where you just hear, the same book recommended by multiple people. I was like, all right, well, all right, I'm yeah, done. That's exactly you know? right. Um, so those are the two main things. What about you? Well, a very similar. I remember um, winning, going to a conference uh, with my, uh, I, I don't think we were married yet, mainly so we're dating, we're engaged, and she wanted me to go meet some friends of hers in Atlanta, so we drove down to Atlanta and went to this. Uh, actually, we went, we were, I, I, now I'm getting my story straight. We were married when we actually went to the conference. I met this couple before we were married. That's why I'm getting mm-hmm. confused. But when we went to the conference that they were a part of, uh, we got invited to go. Like, we were at VIP passes. We didn't have to pay to go, right? Um, and Malcolm Gladwell was one of the mm-hmm. speakers. And I had never heard of his name, right? And he, he told the stories and, and introduced uh, one of his books. And I'm like, this guy is fascinating. I've got to find his book. So mm-hmm. I started reading his books and I've read everything that he is. Uh, has written and actually have a signed copy of his newest book. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that was kind of like when I hear something, I hear an author especially uh, talk about a, a book or talk about an idea, I'm just fascinated and want to read more. Um, but also, like, I really I really like when, like, Kevin DeYoung mm-hmm. or Dr. Moeller puts out their, like, top ten books. Sure. I will always look at those. I'm like, well, what are they reading because and some of them I'm not interested. Like Dr. Moore, like a lot of history books. Yeah. And it's like I don't have time to read right. 500 page, 600 page right. history I, I, books. I'm not going to knock out a 500 page book <laughs> yeah. in a day or right. two like he does. Uh, no way. Uh, which will help from the second the second question. At, uh, how, how do you read a book? But yeah, I think that usually recommendations. Um, you mentioned this book several different times when we have sat down and talked, and that kind of like, well, I need to read that book, and mm-hmm. so you know, found it on Amazon, and I actually found it at the library on their eBooks, and was just kind of picking at it throughout the last few months and stuff. So, so yeah, that's usually typically how I capture or find books. Right. And just keep reading. But how do you how do you read a book? All right. 
this is a good question, and there's actually a great book, How to Read a Book. Sure. That I, I have that. You, yeah. I have it as well. Yeah. Uh, for you students out there, uh, there is a way to read different books. Sure. That I think is a very important lesson to learn and should probably should be taught to children in elementary school or middle school on how to read a book. Because right. a lot of people just don't know how to read. So book. this book is fairly dense. It is fairly um, dense, yeah. Now, uh, so there's certain books where kind of that skimming, kind of checking oh, yeah. the first sentence of every paragraph will do you. Um, you would miss, uh, I mean, he does a lot of research, uh, a lot of data in yes. here and so you would miss a whole lot of that you would still get his general arguments um i i am a slow reader okay and i'm in a very easily distracted reader oh so, yeah. uh so this one took me a while to get yeah, sure. through um because you know it's it's fairly lengthy and it and the density there's there's just parts of it where you're kind of going Phew. yeah like i'm not too much of a statistics guy and right. so there's and parts you're not going to memorize and memorize right all the statistics you yeah. know so we're talking about 370 pages of actual uh material and then after that you get a lot of notes about 100 pages yeah. of notes yeah. um and so i so i'm a slow reader seminary was a struggle for me because you you push through a lot of material quickly and yeah. some of it really dense right um and my favorite thing, though, is actually what we're doing now. If I read, I, I generally, if I read a chapter or two, I'm ready to talk to somebody about it. Right. I, my favorite thing is actually to to pre- kind of present ideas, share ideas, and then hear how it strikes other people, and then kind of discuss how you can see it effective. Yeah. Uh, and so this is my favorite thing to do is actually have material that uh, we've both run into and then to talk about it and see, you know, how you see it, what use is it to you, and um, some of my uh, favorite uh, authors and pastors that do that same thing, mm-hmm. that, that they they look forward to talking about it, not just you know finishing a book and right. then you're like, well, all right, next one. You yeah. Know? Uh, so, yeah. What about you? Yeah. So, I'm a, I, so, if you're an author of a book, do not take this the wrong way, but I think a lot of books that could really be a lot shorter in right. yes. and, 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 and amount of pages... And I, that's someone who's written, who wrote a dissertation that was way too long, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if I was reading it, I wouldn't read all of it, right? Yeah. But I think I'm always trying to get the, the big principles out of a book and squeezing those out of them. Um, so let's say like Christian books, there's a lot of anecdotes and stories. Yeah. And it's like, eh, I, I can kind of pass through all that and try to get to the meat. Yeah. And so I do that. And, I, you know, there are times where I can read a book in a day because I'm just really trying to get the big points out of it and, and really see the argument and and capture those things. And then I really like to read the end and the conclusion because usually that's where like the, all right, how do we apply this, right? right? What are the solutions? I just read a book called Divided by Faith uh, about some of the issues going on right now with white blacks and church and stuff. And read a few of the chapters, kind of caught the idea, what the principle of the authors were, were saying, and then went to the conclusion and said, all right, how do we apply this? And was really disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, there's nothing there's no mm. solutions. Yeah. So usually, you know, you can get read a, a book and just like, wow, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of uh, arguments, a lot of uh, um, premises. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to the end. I go, how do we? What do we do about this? And it's like, yeah. oh, I got nothing for you. Right. You're like, wow. I, I, so I just saved myself 400 pages of reading, you know, by just getting to the end and seeing what the. Uh, so I think you know there are some books, especially older classic books, that you really need to read word to word and slowly read it. But I think a lot of modern books, there's so much fluff in there. <laughs> you know, you I can agree. kind of. And this is a this is a great book, and I, I really like his writing style. Yep. Uh, he's a very enjoyable writing uh, style. I never got bored reading this book at all. Um, 
and I've only read some of the most of the chapters. I've read all the chapters, but um, you know, uh, but I like how he, he's very organized in his writing. Like yes. he has an in sum, yes. great. Yep. That is yes. a great thing. So if you don't be afraid of a book like this, because if you're like, ah, I'm getting kind of bogged down, well, go to the in sum and you get kind That's of right. a summarized version of everything he said. Right. You're like, okay, right. I got this. Um, that I think that is a isn't it great disappointing thing. when mm. you're reading somebody in a discipline and you go. You should be a better commu- like you study communication. <laughs> like you should be a better communicator. Right. This. But this is a guy. I mean, he's a psychologist. He ought to know how to communicate. And he does a fantastic job. I mean, of this is the yeah. arguments I'm going to make. Then he makes the arguments, and he's like, and by the way, these are the arguments that I just made. Yeah. And and it doesn't. It's very concise. He's not running on and on about it, but he does help you because he he he's going to say some things, especially um, depending on how much familiarity you have with kind of how people think uh, with what might be driving actions, how much you've thought about mm-hmm. that. He's going to have some new ideas to present to you and some yeah. important ideas. Yeah. And so it is important for you to then say up front, this mm-hmm. is what I'm about to tell you. And you'll mm-hmm. go, wait, really? Yeah. And then he makes the argument. And you're like, I guess I can see that. And then he, he's just, it's like, in case you're not sure that you're getting what yeah. I'm going to say it in, in a very concise way. Yeah. And I mean, that is so needed. Yeah. I, I, I hope as time goes forward, there's a lot of people wondering right now, are we going to see the death of the book? Well, no, but please get better at being concise in your arguments, yeah. saying something, and then being done when you've said something. This is the main reason C.S. Lewis is my favorite author, is because if you read anything yeah. the man wrote, it is from, from fiction to theological works. It's like he, he says what he's got to say, yeah. and then he just goes, all right. Yeah. Take it or leave it. I'm moving on. Yeah. And every sentence is going to matter. Yeah. It all builds on each other. I'm not yeah. saying stuff that's superfluous or extra, yeah. not needed. If it's there, it's needed. Mm-hmm. And um, and it turns out, it seems he just thought that way. I mean, even if you read Narnia, the, the story moves along. You don't yes. have a lot of uh, plot building. It's just, look, we're gonna. this plot is going to be going... Yeah, we're going to be moving towards the conclusion from the time we start. Yeah. And I can read fiction like that. Otherwise, most fiction yeah, I struggle with. Down. Yeah. You know, not you know, and obviously we, we have a lot to talk about when it comes to this book, but I think now more than just about any, any time, books are so important because mm-hmm. we live in an age where it's like Twitter can be almost instantaneous with a piece of information or news or opinion. Even an article like, you can spit out an article in a few hours and right. post that online or post right. that through some social media feed. A book takes time. Right. It takes research. It takes study. It takes editing. It takes um, going through a publishing company right. as they publish it and put their brand on it, like Viking Publishing Company uh, right here. They went through different levels of eyes right. before that thing even got published, mm-hmm. right? Um And while that seems slow, it's so... But usually when you have research... <laughs> Actually, the book tends to speak pretty clearly yeah. and relevantly to a time, even though maybe the book is years in its creation because right. it's research. Right. Usually, things like even things like um, what's going on with the black protests and Black Lives Matter, that stuff you can see that stuff coming down years in the past, right? right? Uh, and if you were researching this, if your finger was on that pulse, you would have been able to almost predict a lot of these things, yeah. but. Uh, and so we're, we're so quick to want to read the articles thinking they're more relevant, but they're, yeah, maybe they're time, they're like on point because they were written an hour ago, yeah. but books do such a better job of speaking more clearly, yeah. uh, more, um, even almost even bringing into the equation other people's views. And I think he does a great job in some of his chapters of saying, 
You know, I know that you may come from this ethics, ethics of autonomy, but like those who come from this community, they think differently. Right. And let's look at it. You know, yeah. that's so helpful. Yeah. That's so good. So yeah. let's jump into it then. Yeah, so. Um, so the biggest takeaway that he's going to have is if, if your approach, if you tend to think of people as being rational, as uh, looking at, um, looking at their life and going, okay, well, what is the most reasonable thing for me to do? Uh, he's going to flip that upside down, and this is helpful for me. I mean, uh, frankly, when I was in seminary and presented uh, Lawrence Kohlberg, I don't know if you ever had like a Christian development. Um, Lawrence Kohlberg, his theory is, a, is the one that was the main theory presented, and he's a rational choice theory, a lot of kind of like, well, people go through these phases, and, and some people come to a point to where they recognize uh, authority or uh, get to the point to where they see the need to, uh, to, uh, to work with authorities, uh, but some people get hung up and don't make it, and then that's where crime comes in. And, and it was presented in a very rational kind of like, well, there's these, these people walking around. And that seemed fishy to me then. I didn't have any idea exactly what to do with that. Um, but this book, I think, has a better explanation of underlying causes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably the biggest takeaway that we're going to get to, what, uh, what he's calling moral foundations theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that there are, multiple foundations right. for morality and that the senses that people have, and he compares it to, like, senses. that We have multiple senses, and all people across the globe have these. Yeah. That's where his research comes in, is that he found that it's not enough if just a certain culture has this sense. It is. It needs to happen around the world, and in fact... The one he found to be an outlier is what he calls weird morality, yes. which is Western, educated, industrialized, uh, we're the last... Rich, wasn't it? Yes, rich, rich and... De- de- democratic. And democratic, yeah. yes. Yeah. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic, which yeah. is academia and then the, and the <laughs> upper class of the yes. West, the basically the ruling class of right. our country, right. who then are giving out values mm-hmm. uh, through cultural influences and, mm-hmm. and all of this. Um, and so that, that affects all of us. And what he says is that, that that group is only working off of a select few of the foundations and leaving behind some of them, which makes them outliers. Um, and so here, here's something that, that comes up very, very early that he says. He says, while all of us come pre-wired with the six moral modules, each of them stands to be either amplified or quieted as well as somewhat modified by a host of internal and external factors. Uh, the internal factors include our personality, its development, while the external factors include the environment in which we are raised, including our cultural milieu, and the particular experiences that we have, the latter of which help to shape, among other things, our view of human nature, which itself influences our view of what good society consists in. All right, so we should probably uh, introduce the foundations uh to, to kind of get into what uh, he says is happening. And uh, I tried 
this this is something that I picked up a, along the way. I try to come up with like an acrostic, and so you can spell uh, the the five that are definite, and then we'll mention the sixth. But the five that are definite, you can use to spell flask with a C at the end. <laughs> F L A S C. All right. So uh, the first is fairness. Mm-hmm. Uh, or proportionality, equality. Uh, this is rendering justice according to shared rules. Uh, the opposite of cheating. Mm-hmm. And this is one that uh, around the world, and including weird Western educated and all that, that that is agreed upon. That's one of the two big ones for Western societies, but one that you'll find around the world. Um, though, uh, I haven't told you. Did, have you caught the story of where this book came from for him? Mm-mm. Um, so he was working uh, on the 2004 uh, presidential election. Ah, okay. And uh, he looked at it, and I think he was he was pretty far on the edge of the time. But he's he in any talk you you hear him speak, he would say he grew up being a liberal. Yeah, yeah, and, and caught uh, that. Yeah, you know, voting. even in his, in his academic. Life, you know, he went from University of Pennsylvania to the University of Chicago, right? right? I mean, those are fairly similar in their political views and their views on religion, right? right. And so it, it was a the chapter five when he talked about going to India was like this huge blow up because right. he's like India is nothing like the University of Chicago or the University right. of Pennsylvania, right? And it right. just really kind of pushed on him and kind of his biasness, right? Right. Um, yeah. So what happened was. Um, he saw that this is the election between John Kerry mm-hmm. and George W. Bush. He saw the moral messaging that the Democrats were putting out was just totally tone deaf. And he was like, these yeah. people. I mean, and this is a guy you got to imagine him being a social psychologist, studying morality, and then seeing that nobody in the Democratic Party was able to make a moral plea. And, and as a result, uh, John Kerry loses yeah. to yeah. George W. Bush, um, and he's crushed because he's like, you guys, is there nobody who knows how to make a moral argument? Right. And so he sets out to help uh, Democrats in making moral arguments. And so he's like, well, I need to study uh, moral arguments and, and what it is that are the foundations that we're working off of. And like you said, going to India and looking at various places around the world. I believe he spent some time in South America as well. He found that the outlier uh, were the two modules, the two moral foundations that weird Western educated uh, countries focus on, which is the one we've mentioned, fairness, mm-hmm. uh, equality, mm-hmm. and then uh, the C, which is care, mm-hmm. harm, mm-hmm. Uh, cherishing and protecting others. Mm-hmm. But those are the two that it's basically been boiled down to right. for liberal Westerners. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about Europe mm-hmm. as well as liberal America. And he says his answer to the question of why then are conservatives so much better at making moral arguments mm-hmm. uh, is that they tend to mix five different foundations. So here are the other ones where I talked about the F. Uh, the L is loyalty uh, or in-group connection, standing with your group, mm-hmm. family, nation. So the opposite of betrayal, being mm-hmm. sensitive to betrayal. Right. Uh, and then the A is authority or respect, submitting to tradition and legitimate authority, the opposite of subversion and then uh one that he ran into in india a lot sanctity or purity Mm -hmm. uh tied to disgust abhorrence for disgusting things foods actions Uh, this is the opposite of degradation Mm -hmm. or pollution and when he saw 
first of all, these five. And then he began to look at how these still do exist, even, say, among Western liberals. Uh, for instance, we all now, I mean, a few years have passed since he wrote this, but we all now could see, say, for instance, in Sanctity or Purity, that while, uh, say, the average Western liberal has um, less, say, moral uh, disgust, there are, is so much going on in terms of food, mm-hmm. in terms of which foods are considered good or pure, all of, you know, sure. uh, has to be farm... Uh, what do you what do you call the the cattle the free range free range free chickens range, yeah. yeah free range chickens and then uh, you know no, fed. no GMOs yeah, and, yeah, and I mean like yeah. that this is, is coming back uh, and, and and that these things show themselves whether or not you have kind of your own scheme mm-hmm. uh, set up that these things are human mm-hmm. and I find this very helpful because I can look at these and go oh. Well, I've never run into this yeah. uh, the scheme exactly. Right. You can look at people and go, yes, yeah, absolutely, and and so his conclusion is, <clears throat> again, conservatives tend to resonate and and use messaging dealing with all five of these, um, whereas liberals tend to deal with care, mm-hmm. care harm, mm-hmm. uh, and then fairness mm-hmm. uh, versus kind of cheating now now mm-hmm. one kind of caveat there is that uh he did say that for conservatives fairness proportionality right. is a lot of more of the focus uh and so you can see that like um equal pay for equal work and, and these sorts of things uh would be more but this, this word equality would resonate more with the left so fairness yeah. is a complicated concept right um but one there that that you still have so Big point, big point that he comes up with. There's more to morality than harm and fairness. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, as Christians, we believe that. It is, I think it is is powerful and and helpful to see a more finished out moral theory uh, than whatever was the predominant. Uh, And I don't know how far reaching this has gotten at this point. This is a few years in now, but it seems um, if you look up Jonathan Haidt on YouTube, uh, there are so many. I mean, this this has gone pretty far-reaching. Many colleges have had him in, so I, I really believe this idea is, is going to catch on and continue to catch on because I think it explains a lot of what is happening. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> so in his uh, First chapter, he tells all these uh, these uh, stories he used in like his studies, right? Uh, it's okay if I read some of these, right? Sure, yeah. Because uh, one, the, I'm gonna read both of them, and um, if children are re- listening, the second one may be a bit graphic. But first one is a family got dog was killed by a car in front of their house. They had heard that dog meat was delicious, so they cut up the dog's body and cooked it and ate it for dinner. Nobody saw them do this, and then he asked people what they thought about right, that. Right, right. Um, and the initial flash was disgusted, right? They were disgusted by this, but uh, they hesitated before saying the family had done anything morally wrong after all the the dog was dead already, so they didn't hurt it. Right. Right? And it's their dog. So, right, they have have that kind of freedom to do that. The, The second one, um, a man goes to the supermarket once a week, buys a chicken, 
before cooking the chicken, he has sexual intercourse with it, then he cooks it and eats it. Yeah. Uh, no harm is done to the chicken, right? Because it's already dead, right? It's They bought it at yeah. the supermarket. Um, and nobody knows. Uh, it's not like he videotaped this and put it online to harm anyone else. Or, um, and uh, it's efficient use of natural resources. Is right, what he yeah. talked about. Um, but again, the, there's a disgust, right? It, it seems degrading, um, but does it make it wrong, right? So from this fairness oppression thing, no, no one's being harmed. Uh, uh, it's his choice. He bought it with his money, right? He should be yep. able to choose to do with it as he wills. Now, the initial is that's disgusting, right? And in India, they would say that's purity-wise, that's disgusting, yes. right? I mean, um, that's against um, um, what is high and low, right? That's um, And there's a certain purity, and animals are dirty. Why would you have intercourse with a dirty animal like that's that's kind of how indian mm-hmm. culture looks at this from, from their moral matrix they right. see that as wrong where we would go from western culture like well it sounds disgusting that sounds wrong but given that it doesn't harm anyone it's it's freedom of choice i guess i can't say it's wrong and this is <laughs> this is one of the fun things that he does in the book to where you kind of go at first like would it be interesting to go to another culture and study you know social psychology and moral yeah. psychology um, yes, yes, it would because it, in India, yeah, they just go. Obviously, that's disgusting and not not appropriate. And then to come to a Western thinker, just your average secular Westerner, and go, but but why? Right. Yeah. There's no harm here, is yeah. there? And then to see like I I I guess I can't come up with any reason why. But this is exactly the thing that he's studying, is moral intuitions, that we have them. Right. And what are they saying? Right. Where are they leading? Yeah. And so... Uh, and building morality just off this idea of harm and freedom is incomplete, right? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not comprehensive enough. If you throw in different cultures, you have right. issues, right? Right. And I, I didn't say this, but I can probably say it now. I ha- I've never been to India, but I've been to Nepal yes. twice. Um, and India, Nepal used to be a part of India, right? Mm-hmm. 80% of, of Nepal, Nepalis are Hindu, right? very similar to India. They eat similar food, so very similar culture. Uh, they watch Indian television shows and Indian Bolly, Bollywood movies, so yep. very similar. Um, and you get this, right? Uh, in America, when you go to church, you wear your shoes, right? right? In Nepal, you do not do that. You mm. do not wear your shoes in the church. You take your shoes off. So it's fascinating because you go into a church building. When most church buildings in Nepal are not very big, right? We're not talking about a thousand plus people going to church together. We're talking about 50 to maybe 100 on a special day. And all these shoes lined up, right, outside the door. And in our culture, that would be like, well... I should be able to wear the shoes that I wore into the building. Right? It's my choice. I'm not harming anyone. Right. But to them, you're bringing the dirty world into that church yeah, building. Yeah. And so they see that as morally wrong because of where you've walked. And in and, 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 and Indian cultures, people use the restroom outside. There's dirty animals outside. Yeah. And so to bring that into the house of the Lord would be seen as like sacrilegious, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's that's... That's how, you know, building a morality based off harm and, and choice is incomplete. Right. Um, and I, like, I really like how he, he brings in these crazy examples to really kind of make people think and go, 
yeah, based off, I, yeah, I guess it's not wrong. It's like, did you hear what you just said? You right, disagreed right. with a man who bought a chicken and had sex with it right. and then cooked it. And you can't come up with any reason you can't come why up. that's wrong. <laughs> you know? and You're kind of stuck. Yeah, right? right. because you have limited, you brought your morality down to just care yeah. and fairness. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not, that's inadequate. Right. And, and, and it props back up. You know, so so this is really helpful. Uh, I will mention that um, I don't know exactly why he is not uh, pushing the sixth foundation as much, but he does talk about uh, liberty uh, versus oppression as uh, a possible foundation. Um, and so this is in response to the need to differentiate between proportionality, fairness, and the objections he had received from conservatives and libertarians uh to coercion by a dominating power or person. And he noted that the latter group's moral matrix relies almost entirely on the Liberty Foundation. And so you could see, uh, when I, I listened to a, a couple more uh, kind of talks and lectures of uh, him yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, he talks about how that, at this point he's saying, there are at least six there's probably more right. foundations, but right. these really show themselves strong across the world with the research that he's done. And again, appreciate that that this is actually multicultural. He's looking for what it is, what are the moral drives that mm. are within us, mm-hmm. uh, and how they can grow into different kind of mm. traditions. And you know, when you were talking about India, it makes me think about all kinds of customs in the East yeah. uh, in Japan and China that oh, have yeah. been historically very strange to, yeah. uh, to Westerners, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, you know, well, well, there probably is a reasonable explanation for why you generally take your shoes off to go into mm-hmm. uh, a house mm-hmm. and you could see it tied to something like sanctity or purity. And, and like you were talking about, uh, being clean from the world and not mixing all of those things I together. Really, I really liked the, um, he talks about, one of the things, this has nothing to do with the, the, the principles of the book, but yeah. when he said that the movie The Matrix came from a book by William Garrison, I was like, what? That movie's based off a book? I never knew this. I it's either. in this book. He, he mentions it and he, he talks, it's a, um, uh, the book is called Nyromancer. Nyromancer? Oh, really? Okay. Uh, and I'm like gonna go find this book, right? And uh, basically, the movie is like a is it's like a fictionalized story of that uh, principles or theories by really? this writer okay. wrote. Um, and he 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 mentions this this to talk about these different ethic matrix, right? Autonomy, community, and divinity, right? And when I was reading that, I was thinking about you know. Let me. Just, he mentions flag burning, right? And he says yeah. that some people see flag burning as it's not hurting anyone, it's liberty, it's mm-hmm. people's choice. Where others are seeing it as as unpatriotic. Right. They're seeing it as um, basically um, not uh, not thinking of or appreciating the people who sacrificed for the sake of your freedom. Uh, and it made me think of like. Let's just go there because it's popped back up again. Is the kneeling? I was just about okay. to mention that. I was as well. thinking about that, and like, so what you're ha- what you have here is you have two different matrices going on. Yes. One matrix is saying it that flag affects my. It's a harmful to my. It's harmful to me. It, it, it represents oppression mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as an individual, I am going to kneel. Mm-hmm. Where we we would some would say, well, see, there's it's not hurting anyone. 
there's no harm being done. There's right. no oppression being done to anyone. It's someone's individual choice. Right. Well, others are saying, no, it's unpatriotic. It's, um, it's, it's not understanding the duty to a country. It's not uh, recognizing and being thankful for those who have died for it. Right. And the people are saying, well, you don't understand. Well, right. you don't understand. Right. They don't understand. Right. And yes, this, the, yeah, <laughs> that these is exactly cross what's happening. right there, because yeah. you're talking about loyalty and in-group, you know, standing with your group, family, nation, yeah. uh, and authority, respect. Right. Uh, that, that is, that is thumbing your nose at authority. Yeah. Uh, and you can see how some people would say, I don't see anything wrong with this, where some people would say, what's wrong with you? How can right. you not? Right. Um, and how people would approach this in, in very different ways. Uh, yeah. So it's a great example in how we can, uh, if we... If we don't seek to understand this and we don't have any common moral matrix that we'll continue to talk past each other. Right. And like you said, this issue uh, with whatever we get from sports uh, seasons this year is going to come back up because it's already in discussions right now. And right. so we'll see what comes of I it. I love how he uses way. that. that he, he, he goes back to the movie The Matrix with the pills, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like... I guess it's the red pill, right? He took, and you're basically you're. I, th- I, I can't. I can't get the colors right, right? Either I'm pretty sure the red pill is no to no reality. No, okay. Um, but if you take that pill and you your eyes are open to the actual world, yeah. right? Uh, he did that when he went to India. Right. His eyes were open that there are there are other cultures and people that look at the world differently. And he even talks about the, if you had taken a Western, let's just take a Westerner, put them in India, and they are they live in a in a home or a family for an extended amount of time. They notice that the wife doesn't talk during meals, or and actually this happened in Nepal. When you go and you have a meal at someone's house, the men eat together and the women stay in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And I noticed that, and I'm like, I wonder why the wives aren't coming to eat with us. Mm-hmm. To me, I caught that. I didn't obviously we're we're surrounded by Christians. We're having a meal. We're talking. Um, and the women kind of will come in the doorway and we'll are very thankful for the food, but they don't actually come in the room until we're done eating. And you, you think about that, and that really hits up against our Western ideas of equality. Right, right. Men and women are equal. And, 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 and what's going on in their culture is the male headship and the authority that the male has in the home. And they don't see that necessarily as morally wrong. You know, because there's a sense of respect and duty yep. and certain hierarchy and roles within the family mm-hmm. that we don't we, we we don't understand very well, or we we're really fluid with roles, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he recognizes this, and you know, is having to deal with his own kind of presuppositions and his understandings of the way morality is, and he sees this, and if if, if they had gone to his culture. And seeing this, it would seem as unruly. Yeah. It would seem like there's no roles. It seems like where is the uh, where's the authority here? Right. Where's the family structure that's going on? Why why is there such uh, kind of a vagueness that goes on in the roles? And I think that's it's so. I think it's what hurts people in our culture is that we are we believe so people believe so strongly in these moral values. They've never actually experienced another culture. And so they're just, they're pretty blinded by what else is going on yeah. uh, in the world. We have uh, a very complicated relationship with authority in our country. I very mean, so. uh, you know, I think recently we've talked about King George and uh, the original rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that rebellious attitude is, is uh, alive and well. Uh, 
I mean, the concept of cool, I very much re uh, can divide, in my mind, two parts of it. Rebellious plus confident. That's what cool is. Rebellious and confident. Yeah, James about, Dean, man. You know? Yeah. And, mm. and that is quintessentially American. Um, and so we have a long and complicated history with rebellion. And you can go, okay, so what? Well, rebellion and, and authority is a fundamental biblical concept that we, in our sins, we rebel against all authority. And the basic problem then is we need to repent mm -hmm. and come under God's authority right. first. And then all the other authorities in our life will begin to come in line. Right. And so uh, seeing the importance of authority, and then, I mean, we are in a crisis uh, right now. What we talked about last week, leadership in crisis, the crisis is about authority. Yeah. Are there rightful authority? Right. How to exercise authority rightly? Right. Who should you give respect to? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, a lot of the crisis. I mean, we have, we have like these tectonic plates between... The office of president, most people would say you should respect the office of president. Right. Okay, but what if you get a disrespectful person right. in that office? What right. do you do then? Right. And this is a hypothetical that I really think, you know, four years ago we would have gone like, boy, I hope we never have to really brush up into that and deal with, well, here we are. Yeah. I mean, and, and we've been in it for years now, and this election is going to be another huge question to the country uh, what are you looking to do and not just if donald trump is reelected i mean because of the leftward rush of the democratic party i mean at what point is authority just completely thrown out, out the window right that we no longer even worry in a time where there has been this last week calls to abolish the police mm -hmm. who who is the authority catching wrongdoers in yeah. towns and cities across the country, uh, we don't think well about authority. Uh, we don't have clear thinking. We have to have clear thinking about mm -hmm. authority, mm -hmm. about local authorities yeah. all the way up to the yeah. top. And I, I, I like how he talks about what is the main goal of each of these morality matrices. What is the main goal? Mm -hmm. And for in a, in a ethics of autonomy where it's about the individual rights, you understand where the ultimate goal is, right? Get rid of the authority. If the authority is affecting individual rights, well, then remove the authority, right? That should be the main goal, right? That mm -hmm. should create less harm, less oppression, more freedom, more right. equality, more fairness, right? It's, and, and that seems like that is the end goal. But if, again, if you're coming from this ethics of community, you see the need of authority, the need of structure, the need of of a sense of roles, institutions. Um, there's a sense of duty to some of these, a sense of responsibility to these. Um, then you're, 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 you're forced to go, no, 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 no. That while there are bad cops, there are still structures and institutions that right. need to stay there. Right. Um, and we need to hold them accountable while also at the same time respecting them and honoring them right. and falling under them. Right. Uh, but you have these two different groups, right? And, and so if they don't, if those groups don't stop to see kind of what the main goals are for these different groups, then they'll never be able to communicate with each other right? or hear each other. And so, um, and that's, or it'll just become a massive fight and whoever seizes the day, I guess, wins the day, right? But right. still, these, these moralities and ethics will not go away. And this is, um, 
this is huge. I'm sure there are people who would say, well, the side that I'm on, I intend to stay there and I don't have any interest in connecting with people of the opposite side. Listen, that's not going to hold because, no. I mean, this week has been a story. Uh, I don't know if you followed J.K. Rowling and this uh, issue that's come up that uh, basically she she has had a, a real issue because she says, okay, I can't abide the claim anymore that there's no such thing as a woman. Oh, because yeah. that denies any struggle that a woman has ever had. Sure. It's a, she has some, tr- some trans- transgender issues, right, that she is kind of going back. With. You know, yeah. she basically says it's it's more complicated. Now, she, she will accommodate sure. that people would be transgender, but she says it's not just as simple as you declare it and then you are it. Uh, there's more to it than that. So she's in a different place than you and I, both social conservatives, would be. Right. Um, but she is being just, I mean, within minutes, she yeah. starts getting the the tweets. But yeah, then sure. it's been all out war on her to say, you hate transgender people. You are, you, they're dying. We're dying because of what you're saying. And if you don't understand foundations of morality, you may stand with some group today but you won't see the shifts that continue to come, and all of a sudden, I mean, uh, this happened this week to uh, the governor, I believe it was governor of uh, Minneapolis. Oh, oh, the mayor. Uh, the mayor. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, sure. the mayor who said, yeah. yeah, I'm ready to stand with you. Okay, well, you defund the police. And he said, you know, I can't right. go for he's that. He's a and Democrat, like, right? Okay, yeah, like he is. Some, yeah. You know, he was ready to go, yeah. but not as far. You know, right. they, he didn't go along with defunding right. the police, so they immediately said, okay, you're done then. Right. And... It, it, it is exactly related to what you're talking about. It, if you are not ready to go the whole way with us in tossing out mm-hmm. authority, right. then you're not one of us. Right. You're not a part of our march to the end goal. Right. Is, is the thing here. And I, I think that was that chapter in this book, chapter five, was so helpful. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, talking about the... Uh, the writer and the elephant, that our intuition is really the one that leads us. That's right. And, uh, and it's a big elephant, right? Our, our intuition, what we see in a matter of milliseconds and how we react right. in the moment is, is leading, the, leading the us, right? It's leading our reason. And our reason has to catch up to our intuition, right? Um, and I think people like to argue and say, well, I have, our, our, I have reasoned this out. I was like, I don't know if that's the truth. I think you just... Your intuition went one direction, which kind of goes with this ethics thing, and then you just start to build the reasoning That's right. with evidence and or evidence and confirmation biasness that just kind of leads you to where the elephant's already stomping down to. And, and so, and that's huge. An insight you have to have about all human beings is that we are fundamentally religious. Mm, yeah. That uh, this is this came up talking about. Um, about college campuses, about how we can't have speakers of certain types on the campus, uh, on our campus, and then they, uh, the college presidents were trying to compromise, and they would come out and say, well, uh, we will, if you don't want them to be in the main hall speaking, we'll move them to another uh, place on campus, and immediately people rise and they say, no, 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 off campus, got to get them off campus, Mm -hmm. and the only way that that anybody I've heard can make sense of this Mm -hmm. is this is a religious impulse because why do they need? I mean, what if somebody is presenting an idea that you disagree with? Why do they need to be off campus? Well, because the campus is our sacred space. The, right. the campus is where we live, right. where 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 my heart resides, and I can't have that. 
I mean, that, that is, if it's, it's frightening to think about that if you're not familiar with religion and then you just walk around inside of it thinking things like that, that no, I can't have someone that I so fundamentally disagree with on my same space. Mm. And so that's, that's what moves to yeah. under, the, the next big insight is what you just talked about, the rider and the elephant, that really what we're all doing, and I, I, I'm very thankful, this uh, actually was first introduced to me, this idea in a systematic theology class at Southern Seminary, uh, Russell Moore, that typically when we make decisions, our heart is leading. Right. And um, I've heard it various, variously described that our mind is kind of like the press secretary. Right. That our mind is providing explanations for why we did what we did. Right. Uh, reasonable defenses for, well, listen, this is why I did that this morning. And if you think about yourself and what you're typically doing um, on, on an average day, think about, so husbands, think about when your wife asks you, you know, like, oh, do you always hang around? Just this morning, my wife asked me, like, oh, do you guys always hang around for like 30, 45 minutes after you run or bike and just kind of hang out? Uh, well, you know, not all, I mean, uh, you know, not always. Right. And you're immediately in this sort of like, wait, I, I, I could just provide, you know, that sometimes it takes longer, sometimes it's shorter. There's all, there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> and, and this defensive, you know, like, what are you doing here? What do you, what do you want? So you know, funny. there's so many of these every day where people oh, yeah. are asking us questions and we do have the press secretary and you can think about yourself that most of the time your heart is like the elephant. Your heart is just pushing along. And there is this little rider up there who's kind of going like, don't worry, it's all good, what we're doing here. Uh, yeah, very absolutely. helpful. It's very really, helpful really, really insight. good. And, you know, there's other um, other books I've read about this, is that people are making, they talk about even, like, cops, you know, who who mistakenly kill the wrong person, right? Mm-hmm. They think someone has a gun in their pocket when really they didn't have a gun. People are making assumptions mm-hmm. within milliseconds yes. of the decision. And so they're... It's not like they've reasoned that out, right? It's an intuition that says, based off what I see, um, and I I think this is what's happening, so therefore I'm going to react, and then I'm going to provide some some justification to the action on the back right. end. Uh, and so people people think they reasoned all that out, and right. they didn't reason all that out. Um, they have these false assumptions, and then they make a quick decision without any really any time of of rationalizing and reasoning through this. Um, and, uh, and I think that is, I think realizing that's what's happening, um, a lot of the time, um, we need to, that's why it's important to think through these things now before you get into those situations, yep. right? Before you get into those, uh, I don't know how many police officers are having philosophical training, right? Um, but these issues are something we all should probably think about and talk about, you know, when it comes to social media ethics, yes. you know, it's like someone posts something, you immediately have a, a half-cocked mentality, right? So like, oh, I got to post this, right? It's right. like, then let me provide all the reasonings why I feel this way. It's like, well, if you were to stop to kind of think, where are they coming from? Uh, let me try to catch like where their kind of ethics matrix is going on. You could pretty much figure that out. Like either you know the person or just by reading the context of what they're saying. Uh, and then you can kind of go, okay, I can see where they're coming from. Um, and then approach it with that, you know, that kind of approach. Um, it's far more effective, most likely, on communicating with a person or with a group of people. Right. Yeah. Um, so some powerful applications of this. I mean, this is like um, setting us up to talk about some incredible Christian ideas, which is, okay, so your heart lies to you. Right. And your heart is pushing you places. 
what do you need? You yeah. need a new heart. Right. And that's, that's the first start is that, listen, you are walking around telling yourself you try harder than other people. You deserve a little bit extra room than other people. And a lot of things that, if you're honest, are not true. Right. You need a new heart. Uh, and you can have one. I mean, yeah. you know, the uh, come let us reason together, though your sins are scarlet, yeah. they should be white as snow. Yeah, there there is hope for that, first yeah. of all. Yeah. Uh, he skips that one, being uh, secular as he is. But the second one we can resonate with as well. He says, okay, if this is true, that we are all biased toward our own point of view, how do we come at truth? This is where he says... You have to have science that is checked out by multiple people challenging each other. He says the way we can get at truth is by letting other people see our research mm -hmm. and letting them say, what, what about what you did here? This doesn't seem right. That we let other people check us. And that can be true in a scientific establishment. And by the way, Jonathan Haidt's doing some good work at saying to scientists of various kinds like you guys we've been slipping on this yeah sure our, our universities have ended up being populated mostly by liberals and yeah. we're not checking each other we're just right. saying yeah yeah go right. team as long as you you cross the box you check the boxes we'll let your your intuition slide that's right, right. and and if we want to get a truth we have to challenge each other yeah yeah and we actually have to have you know he says that conservative liberal is is a yin and, yin and yang that wouldn't it be great if we had people who said guys we should respect traditions and then guys who also said, hey, maybe we have the wrong ones. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he, he says that as and well. And I think, that, you know, um, not to throw this in here, but I think you mentioned science, the science community and, and the academic community uh, and kind of secular universities. But I think the same principle works with the church. Sure. Um, you know, just to take, for example, what's happening at Southern Seminary, right? There's a jump to intuition that says, well, because it sounds like this and it hints like this, therefore it must be this. Right. So therefore let's go, let's go to war against it. And it's like... You listen to these these interviews, and you're like, you know, we have to give people, especially Christians that are thinking and studying and, and writing, a little bit of a little bit of allow them to present their data. Let them present, and if it's not based off scripture, yeah, then reject it. I get yeah. that, but let them have that day to, yeah. but read it, like listen. You know, if you don't understand, send an email, ask a question, get clarification. Yeah. Uh, if the clarification is 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 not is not successful, if it's not f if it doesn't fulfill the questioning and the issues, then you have an issue that you need to raise, I guess. But allow people to present the reasoning and, and justifications for their thinking, and don't just assume because it sounds like this or it hints at this, therefore it must be this, and let's get rid of it. Right, and I, <laughs> you know, um, I know that uh, it looks like. Dr. Fuller was pretty hurt from yeah. being let go from the seminary and angry. At the end of the day, I am pretty happy with the results because I think that um, a lot of these issues have uh, probably a little more academia than a lot of people wanted. Absolutely. Yeah. But they are important issues and they things are. that are going to become more important. Talking about German higher criticism, yeah. talking about postmodernism, yeah. talking about critical race theory. Yeah. I mean, these things are not only important in the history of the church, but look to be important. For the future, yeah. and if this has served to introduce some people to these ideas, honestly, a lot of times people um, don't get into uh, some of this headier stuff without some drama attached Absolutely. to it. And you know, look, That's a good point. hey, uh, maybe from time to time, if this happens and we're able, you know, that I, I, I believe both of these 
groups are speaking in good faith, one side being Dr. Fuller, the other being the seminary saying, look, this is where we stand on this. You know, if you feel differently, it's up to you. Right. Uh, but questions have been asked. I think they've been answered. And, and I do think more people who then, then would have been interested in this now know a little more about it. Yeah. And so, good. And, you know, uh, you know, interesting about this is that um, I didn't know much about critical race theory. Um, I heard it was like the big bad wolf, but I didn't really know much about it. Um, I will listen to one of the interviews because Dr. Fuller had a criticism on, mm-hmm. on Matthew Hall, who's the provost at, at Southern. Listen to the interview that Matt Hall did. It was like you felt a lot more about critical race right. theory, did some more study, and understood the issue far more be- far better. And I think other people probably who have no idea what this is, if they just listen to someone's intuition, will assume, oh, it has to be bad because it sounds bad. Right. But then when you kind of go, oh, okay, so it's not good, but here's the reasons why it's not good. Uh-huh. Uh, and here's, I can see why people think that this person may favor this because right. they use certain languages. Right. But re- actuality... Uh, they just—I just heard them talk about how the worldview is unbiblical. Right. Here's why it's unbiblical. Right. Like we're not created to, to to get money and to have materialism and to be equal in our materialism and then to have equal power. That's not right. what we were created to be. We were created to worship God. You know, that's the biblical worldview. Um, and so you're like, well, I don't agree with critical race theory, and here's and I can understand why I'm against it and stuff. Right. And and so yeah, I think there's so much fruit that comes out of Asking questions, having people talk through issues, right. reading books, um, and we need to do more of that. We need to encourage people who aren't typically doing that to do that more. Yep. Um, don't just listen to it. Don't just read a headline or watch a video right. on YouTube and assume right. you understand what's going on. Right, and, and I think it's an encouragement, um, one, in our churches to ask hard questions when you're in small groups, mm-hmm. to, to if, if you think you have a different understanding... Engage. Yeah, engage. Do not, I mean, uh, ask, ask faithful questions to your pastor. If you hear something and you're kind of like, I don't know if I think that, Mm -hmm. please, uh, engage. Don't, don't disengage and be angry. Right. Uh, I, I think this has been a pretty good example, this, this whole issue at Southern Seminary of people who are going like, the truth is important Mm -hmm. and uh, I will. I will fight for it. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will not take severance pay in order to be able to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. And if you look at church history, a lot of the clarifications of doctrines have come at times where people have said, like, I think we're muddy about this, but mm-hmm. there seem to be some disagreements. So mm-hmm. let's, rather than let's stand some bad ideas out there, let's get together and, and yeah. come up with what we really do believe is going yeah. on in regard to the Trinity or the. Uh, the nature of Christ, the dual natures of Christ, and, and, and so many things. Yeah. And, and it's exciting to think that though there are problems today, we do still have people who are willing to search out the truth, to fight for the truth, and, and to stand up for it, Yeah. Uh, even if it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that would be the, the second thing about this, uh, this second kind of takeaway from the the rider and the elephant is that your church is a group of people who should be sharpening you mm-hmm. you should open yourself up to and and you have an advantage that the world doesn't have in that people care enough about you to tell you the truth 
about what may be going on in your life. If certain things that are happening to you maybe are a part of your fault, uh, or if you do have shortcomings that, you know, maybe you lost a job again and, and maybe, maybe you need to work on something there. Uh, that's good mm. to, to have people who challenge you yeah. and to say, Hey, you know, you, you maybe are a little hot headed or, yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you get at the truth mm-hmm. by hearing other perspectives than your own, uh, and and it it is it, it is kind of a, a praise about the church that mm-hmm. we are different, that we have different gifts, and that yeah. we are good for each other. Uh, so I, I like that a lot. I appreciated uh, that takeaway. Not that he brings that, but he looks at the scientific community and he says, "Look, we've got to challenge each other." Yeah, and there's a perfect uh, reference for the church there too, that we've got to challenge each other and, and a great gift that we have. If we have a new heart and then if we have each other that we can ask uh, questions and then trust each other and to yeah. say, really, that's what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really good. And you know, we, we had an example in our church just recently, you know, on some of these things where, you know, again, if we just went with intuition um, and just let that go wild, um, it really does impact a community of believers and impacts relationships and things like that. But if we sit back and like, oh, let me read some data, let me read some 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 of the studies on this, and and you start to like, okay, I can see what the issue is. I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we go forward? How do we uh, take what we've learned and and take what we see and and affect the world for the sake of the of the gospel? Yeah, yeah. Um. So I've got some kind of like summary questions that uh, I want to hit you with. Um, I, I think one of the great ways to summarize this, uh, I saw on uh, on a website where I was reading about this. Uh, one of the big questions, are we, we're not machines, but as a way to kind of abstract this, are we more thinking machines which feel, are we thinking beings which feel, or are we feeling beings which think, um, which is more uh-huh. foundational. And so Heights is going to come out pretty strong and say that we are feeling yeah. machines yeah. which think. Right. And there is something very powerful there. One takeaway, certainly we have lower feelings uh, that are strong that drive us. Uh, we have instincts that drive us. And to be honest about biases and so my my first big kind of like okay this this the rubber can really meet the road and, and we can ha- have a takeaway here what do you what do you do about the question of biases how do we check our own biases and, and i'm trying to remember i remember he when you were talking about this i know he used the example of uh, a baby right a baby mm-hmm. is is all feeling and like very little thinking where a psychopath is all thinking and no feeling, right? right. I think he uses this. Yeah, two, no, they have no feelings, and so therefore you can try to educate, right? But without any impulses behind right. it, people just kind of go. So I know you think right. I shouldn't kill people, right? Right. <laughs> but you've got to understand, yeah. I don't care. I don't care. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you think of like, uh, yeah, the, these people are bad people. So it seems like if they're bad people, I should just kill them, right? <laughs> Remove them from. from I can any, help you. Yeah. I can. I, I can help. You. Um, <laughs> And, uh, or baby just like, I want something, I cry and cry and cry, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, uh, without any thoughts of the people who have to actually give it to them, right? right. And, and, and that type of thing. Um, and so thinking about that, you know, are you more psychopath or more baby? Um, but, um, thinking a, a, about you know, my own 
biasness. I, I, I always think that um, in like a psychological, uh, I'm sorry, in a personality kind mm-hmm. of study, I always try to, I always think that I'm more analytical mm-hmm. than emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, where, but then, and it's funny because my dad is probably more analytical and my mom's probably more emotional mm-hmm. in, the, in the two kind of extremes there. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think the older I get, I recognize that my, there are certain things that do bring a lot of initial like feelings, right? Where I have a clear like biasness towards something. Let me, let me give you a, a, a fun, it's kind of stupid, funny example. Um, if anyway, if, if I'm sitting at a, at a table and sports comes up and anyone brings out the argument, well, Tom Brady's a better quarterback than Peyton Manning. Well, my biasness goes into hyperdrive. Yeah. And I go, what are you talking about? They go, yeah. well, it's pretty obvious, Matt, that Tom Brady's better than Peyton Manning. I'm like, and so I just start throwing stuff yeah, yeah, out, yeah, right? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and people just kind of roll their eyes at me. But I think that there's a sense of like, my biasness is kicking in, right? right? Because it's a it's a personal and understand it's not a it's a huge moralist or anything, but it's a personal thing right. that kind of goes into into hyperdrive. And well, there's other things where it's like, well, let's sit down and rationalize right. this. Let's think through this stuff. Where I'm not as you know um, pulled in one direction. Um, and politics has been one of those things that I'm really not like totally. I don't like really typically. Go quickly to a certain bias. I, I mm-hmm. tend to like want to talk about it and things like that, and try to parse through some things. And so, um, so I think there are certain issues where I think biases is an issue, and it's a, it's a kind of it kicks in, emotions kick in. Yeah. Or there's other issues where it is kind of like you act like a robot. You're like, and people are like, why aren't you more emotional about this? You're like, sure. I'm just not emotional about it. Right. You know. Yeah, and that's a foundational uh, issue. Is that you know even like a say Bertrand Russell in yeah, sure. philosophy was considered a very, very, very logical yeah. person. Well, even then, logic is a thing which we value. Right. And so he valued, right. his heart told him, right. logic is amazing. Right. Logic right. is wonderful. Right. So, it's so emotional. <laughs> val- yes, values precede <laughs> thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when values say to you, hey, go think more. Right. Uh, <laughs> th- that's just huge to right. know about the way we are. Right. Is, and, you know, I mean, uh, you, you come to, one of the things that was odd about uh, higher education is, you know, like, not big. My, I was the first in my uh, family to graduate college and then uh, much less to go on to seminary. It was just like a whole new world to me. But one of the things that was comforting, I remember uh, that it hit me, still, all these people are doing what they really want to do, that they're their perspectives are shaped by their hearts. Right. And that it's as simple as we all walk around and whether we feel ourselves to be so rational, uh, our hearts are drawing us to things. And and that made the world kind of make sense. It kind of even the playing field more that even if you think you're above, you know, uh, certain ideas or, you know, look, your heart is pushing you places yeah and that's how you get there mm-hmm. um and and so to me on biases uh, we need to get our side outside of ourselves like that yes. if you if you start asking questions about how biased you are you're really biased yeah. you are fundamentally biased so right. much so that I, I don't know if anybody's ever asked themselves this this just occurs to me sometimes like i just bet it's very different being inside of other people's minds and 
it seems, I I know certain people who are very different. You can tell by speech patterns and, you know, certain minds and certain hearts work very differently. Yeah. And that we don't get to spend any other time in anybody else's heart or mind than ourselves. Right. Zero. From the moment we wake up every day to the moment we go to sleep and even in our, you know, dreams and subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. We only know what it is to be like ourselves and other people are different. And so how do we check our biases? We've got to get to know other people. Yeah. And and, and you think of the one source of literature in the world that is, you talk about getting inside people's hearts and minds and you can't really do that. So God is the one speaking to us and saying, hey, this is actually how you are. You all are like this. Right. This is not like a section of you are like this. So you are all like this. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. You can be from Syria, Persia, Babylon, Egypt, Mm -hmm. or Israel. You all struggle with the same thing, right. you know, um, and is, this is the reason why you struggle with this thing, because let me, let me show the example in Genesis chapter three. And so this is like, this is happening. And so Christ comes into the scene. He's like, I know everything about you. I, I know how you're reasoning. I even says like, I, I, I know their thoughts. Like I yep. know what you're thinking. Right. Uh, I know what you're thinking before you think it. Like I know you, uh, and let me tell you about yourself, right. you know, and you're like, well, that's just too, that's, that's just that's too discomforting. He, you know, that's just, that's, it, as some of the Pharisees and scribes says, like, those are harsh words, right? Yeah, they yeah. say, he goes, well, yeah, they're harsh words because it's true right. about you and you don't like the light, right? right. You don't want the com- discomforting light. You want to yeah. stay in the darkness is how it goes. And I think for us, for our biases to be shown the light, we definitely have to be around each other and be open to, uh, hey, this is what you're thinking. Hey, this is how you typically react to things you may want to watch yourself yep and the second thing is like reading through god's word and say hey the bible's saying i should be i should pursue holiness i should pursue humility i should put others before myself i shouldn't lead with my biasness i should listen and consider um i should submit you know uh and so all these different things you know uh we are shown in the bible um, and I think we have to be careful not to just keep pushing people to their own individual opinion. Hey, you have a right, voice, right. you have an opinion, let it be known. Well, I get that that sounds great. It sounds good. It sounds like that's exactly what we should tell people. Um, but if, if, if that's what we tell people, we don't say, but, but also be humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to what other people say about you. Uh, be open to criticism. Right. Um, then those are dangerous, mm-hmm. dangerous teachings and dangerous lessons to say, hey, have a voice, have an opinion, let it be known. But mm-hmm. it's like, well, where, where's the second half? Where's the wisdom right. that comes with that? So, yeah. yeah. God is the ultimate other. Right. God is the other that we long to know. He knows all the truth, and we have his word. We do mm-hmm. have access to him through his spirit. And one day we will be with him forever. Right. And so this this thing that uh, both the Augustine and Calvin said, you know, like, I I want to know two things, Calvin said. I want to know yourself, God, and I want to know myself. That mm-hmm. intuition was right. That, yeah. that in knowing who God really is, we can know who we really are. That's right. It's huge. Right. He's the you creator. <laughs> uh, and, and so this is a great just encouragement that, look, knowing God is so worthwhile mm-hmm. uh, for truth about everything and truth about anything right if you do not strive to know god what you will know is just your own opinion yeah your own very limited right. very small way of viewing the world and yeah. there's more to it than that and there's even if not, you, it's inadequate even if you gather a bunch of people to agree with you on your opinion sure. that doesn't mean anything i mean right sure you've got a huge following uh pushing you further but okay. 
you're still outside uh, the worldview of God's word, and mm-hmm. God knows you far better than you know yourself, and God knows the hearts of those people more than you know about them. And so, if it's against Scripture, if it's, it's, it's if it's a if it's against what God says, well, then it's false. Yeah. And so, just because you have a bunch of people following you doesn't doesn't mean it's right or true. Right. You know, that's a that's a false philosophy. Just because it works doesn't mean it's true and, and good. Yep. Okay. So, last question then, a practical takeaway, Matt. Uh, given all this, how do we change people's minds? What is the best way to speak, given what we know about writers and elephants, about different moral foundations? How does this inform how we speak to people and trying to persuade? I mean, not just persuading non-believers. Every week in preaching, you're trying to persuade, oh, yeah, say, persuasion. a carnal Christian yeah. to actually just live all out yeah. for Christ. You're trying to persuade somebody who's tired and is not yeah. really dedicated to knowing yeah. God. What, is, what does this do for that? I think, you know, thinking of... Um, uh, another book, uh, but Oz Guinness is a book. I think it's Full Speech or Fool's Talk, uh, which he talks about the art of persuasion in the book and stuff. And and uh, and we think about even other books like Dan, uh, Don um, Carnegie's um, How to Persuade People. Right? Yeah. And and so we we think about these things. And you know, the takeaways a lot of times it's not it's not sometimes it's it has it, ha- it has a lot to do with with what you say, the content of what you say, you know, and, and being able to support it with actual research and data and things like that uh, and good premises um, to support your conclusion. But a lot of it has to do with the way you speak, the right. way you pre- the way that you uh, present yourself, how, how you, as he did a really good job, repeating yourself yep. clearly and saying, hey, if you didn't get it, here's yep. in sum what I'm, what I'm talking about uh, to kind of, um, to be patient with people, to um, you know, speak with passion. Passion is good, but to also speak with a sense of, of ethos, right? Understanding right. like who am I as a person? What is my character and, in, and integrity? And how is that being read as people hear me speak? I think mm-hmm. people spend less time thinking about that. They just opinion, 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 not or passion, passion, passion. Mm-hmm. Not thinking, well, how am how am I as a person? Um, and how's that affecting what I'm saying? And, yeah. I, and I think, um, and I think that has a, a lot to do with it. And I think, especially like changing people's minds, there's a lot of um, doing this. This goes along with what I'm already saying. It goes a lot to do with physical conversation mm-hmm. in person, uh, in space and time. You know, um, it's easy to say certain things when the person is. And in some way, not a person, right? And so we dehumanize people by the by the the platforms by which we talk, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, this person's just a profile on a Facebook. They're not a real person, right? They're just a profile. Well, yeah, I get that, but they're they are a real person. There's a real person behind that profile, and we should get to know that person, right? Uh, and I think that in and of itself, like getting to know people in the real world, thinking about your own character and integrity. Uh, and then, then thinking about also the content by which you speak, I think, and how you speak has a lot to do with persuasion. And persuasion is, is hard. I mean, the the art of it's, it's reason there's an art. It's not a science. You can't find a formula online and say, "Well, I do these five things, someone will buy this house." Like it doesn't work that way. Um, there's an art to it. There's a there's a there's a lot of variables involved. Um, and as Christians. In the art of persuasion, we, that's why we need the Holy Spirit because it is so complicated. Changing right. someone's heart is an impossibility without the supernatural power of God. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's why I think in this discussion, if you take the supernatural out of it, then your worldview is unbiblical. Yeah. Uh, and it's secular. And there is no... Uh, the only ways of persuading people in the secular world is through threats mm-hmm. and fear. Um, mm-hmm. Either you use a gun or you use, we're going to fire you if you don't accept this. That's not persuasion. That's, yeah. that's um, what's the word, blackmail. or um, And so... Coercion. Th- yeah. Coercion, yeah. And so if, if we're going to... Um, if we're going to do this the way that we're going to do this biblically and godly, then I think the things that I mentioned I think are important. Yeah. Um, this is doubled down. I've read some books over the years talking about speaking and teaching to people's hearts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not just to minds, but to hearts. And the importance of, um, you know, I think about how Jesus says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That he says, yeah. you're part of a bigger story. Mm-hmm. There is a struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of yeah. uh, Vince Lombardi. You know, I think there's a heck of a fight going on out there, and we yeah. ought to get in Preach. it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I, that was a halftime, right? A yeah. halftime speech where yeah. it's like they got destroyed the whole half. Yeah. Like, guys, there's one heck of a game going on there. Yeah. Why don't we go out in there and get in it? That's right. And I really see that that's what Jesus is saying, and it's a call. I think that we we as Christians ought to be on a quest to have that life that He's talking about. It doesn't mean that everything's peppy. It means that, right. that we do want full life, and that. Right. If, if you're in Christ and you've been in Christ for a while and you don't feel that you have a fuller life, please be in prayer about that. Yeah. Ask other believers around you. you. You need to have that kind of full life. And then you can go down the line and think about effective speakers. I mean, you think about like a, a Martin Luther King who would say, I have a dream and, yeah. and let me tell you what it looks like. Yeah. I think a lot of people literally can't imagine a better situation than what they're living through. Yeah. And then you need to paint the picture for them a little yeah, bit and I say, right. you've got to fight through yeah. And it's worth it to fight through where you are right now. Yeah. You know, there will be peace and harmony one day. Yeah. And, and you will see little black children, little white children walking arm in arm, judging each other based on the content of their character. Yeah. That's a vision people can get behind. Yeah. I actually read his speech yesterday because I was, it was, I was going to use it in the sermon this Sunday. And it talks about the table of brotherhood, hmm. you know, uh, Blacks and whites in Georgia. And I love how he paints the actual place, Georgia, Mississippi, mm-hmm. right? These, these during the 60s were clear racial issues going on in those particular communities. Mm-hmm. And he uses these words of togetherness and community. Um, and it's so, you're so beautiful and you're painting this picture. Um, and and we'll, we'll probably talk about this down the road, but you're, you're not, you're not, Martin Luther King is not saying, go take what is yours. Right. Because they have taken what is yours, and you need to go get you need to go get it. Um, and you know he's talking about justice, and he's talking about when justice is present, when when there is um, a sense of, of, of peace, harmony is created. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't tell people, hey, like what you want, what you deserve, what you're entitled to is more money and more power, mm-hmm. and you just need to go get it. You know, by any means necessary, go right. get it. Right. Uh, that's not the persuasion that we're the Bible says. Right. Like you, you, you want a full life. You just need more money and you need more power. Well, unless you think you have to have some sort of soaring skill and rhetoric, right? Look, Jesus just walks up and he says, yeah. hey, a farmer went out to sow the seed." Right. Anybody can do this. Right. But it takes a little bit of guts to it just kind of say, "I'm telling you a very simple story." Here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's life. It is a picture yeah. of life, and right. people are drawn into that. We right. all desire life. Uh, this also brought to mind arguments from beauty, you know, things like there is the music of Bach, 
therefore there's a God. Right. You know, there are mountains, therefore there is a God. Right. There there may be more to simple statements like that than we might have previously thought, just because, I mean, if the heavens are declaring the glory of God, uh, some of that is already happening Mm -hmm. uh, every day. And, And it's not to say there's not a place for reason, but to keep in mind that supporting supporting points uh, by reason uh, and, and understanding that, yes, people can reason, but often they're reasoning to where their heart wants to go at that moment. So even in our preaching, we should be speaking to people's hearts and saying, maybe your heart right now is lost in the, in the dumpster right. because your wife's angry at you, your kids yelled at you this morning. But listen, there are more beautiful places than that that your right. heart can live, and let me show you one. Right. Rather than just kind of going, hey, just trust me, this is good for you. Right. No, you, you, you want to draw people into, yeah. I mean, it's a, the Bible's a story we are given of a God who comes and finds his people in a mess and says, I'm going to leave you there. And that's a story that is exciting, yeah. that, it, that, that has life in it, you yeah. know, and so... Yeah, yeah there's a certain, uh, the the persuasion of not just promising them the moon, but instead telling them, "Hey, this is this is reality. This is true, um, but this is how we can move to a better place." Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, um, and this is the path I see the way to go. Um, here's examples of of the in in history or in the past or in my own life where God has intervened and in, in and shown us a vision of, of the future, right, of the, of the unified kingdom, and we should pursue that and mm-hmm. find ways to get to that. And obviously, that's the gospel is the path by which to go there, and uh, let's trust the gospel. Let's not trust governments. Let's not trust police. Let's not right. trust power. Let's not trust money. Let's not trust uh, academic worlds and things like that, but let's trust the gospel as we go forward and, and persuade people to the the gospel, yep. you know, by our actions and by our character and and, uh, and by showing them a, a vision of something. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mm. The world is rife to be shown uh, in action, real life, to, yeah. to sacrificial love. Uh, yeah. That will catch people's attention. And I think more so every year as uh, the last vestiges of kind of cultural Christianity are going by the wayside. <gasps> yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> you, you look and the world will, will look twice at genuine love and genuine sacrifice because their hearts will tell them there's something special there. There's something unique. And then we back it up with words right? that you speak in accordance with your actions. And then people go, okay, something's different. different. And that's a big deal. That's good. All right. We should do this again. We should talk about a book. I like like talking about books and there's plenty of literature out there that are worth reading and talking about some, many, not so much the reading or even the talking about. So this has been Empires of the Future, and obviously based on what's going on in the world, we'll have plenty to talk about between now and sure will. next week. So we will uh, see you next week. See you in the future. Today.